Hey everybody, welcome to Film Music Media. I'm Kai Savaz. I'm here with composer Greg Nicolette. We're going to dig into some awesome stuff. Greg, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Yeah, absolutely. It's, Good uh, to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah, I think this is the second time we've talked, right? Because we did that panel. Yes, we did um, a panel. This is our, our first one-on-one, uh, -on -one, so this is going to be awesome. Yes. I want to... I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your process. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work. And uh, so let's just start from the beginning. I'd love to know if uh, I've been, I've been kind of focusing on this question a bit uh, recently as a, as a kickoff point. It can, and you can answer it however it means to you, but as a human, as a storyteller, what does, uh, as a person, I mean, what does music mean to you? Interesting. Um, well, I always, you know, I, I kind of got into this from a pretty like childlike place. I mean, I, I yeah. loved movies growing up as a kid. I would just feel so, I would just feel these waves of goosebumps watching films that really got to me. And these were all like, you know, what you might expect, Star Wars, Star Trek, yeah. Tim Burton, Batman, films like that. And so I'd have these really deep emotional responses. And eventually I realized that, you know, uh, if I listened to just the music, then I would have those same emotional responses. And around the same time, I was also playing uh, in youth symphony and uh, discovering composers like a lot of Russians, a lot of composers like like uh, Tchaikovsky and, and yeah. uh, uh, Dvorak isn't Russian, right? He's um, uh, I'm not sure, not Russian, but Dvor uh, Tchaikovsky, Rimsky-Korsakov, these composers who would write these really lush symphonic textures that that at the time had a lot in common with a lot of the film music I was listening to and. I just sort of started connecting to music in a very sort of physical, visceral way, yeah. Um, which I guess everybody connects to music in a visceral way. But for me, um, it was specifically this 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 link to orchestral drama, I guess, mm -hmm. for any length of a for for any lack of a better word. I mean, I was a trombone player, and okay. which meant that I only played during the most uh, during the peak of all the pieces, right? Like I would yeah, sit yeah. there. And just wait patiently for the piece to, to climax and then i'd finally get to play a couple notes and so that gave me a chance to really like appreciate and really be cool with just that sense of anticipation and that drama of building something slowly over the course of like if it's a symphony over the course of 20 30 minutes right yeah um, so i don't know that was sort of my early sort of connection to music was was was, was, was that kind of music and then as i grew older um, i just started getting more interested in all kinds of music sort of almost like like a connoisseur you know because we're all yeah professionals and especially in film we're all asked to write in a lot of different styles so um you know whenever a new opportunity would present itself i would just try to throw myself into it and learn what i could about that that genre and sometimes i'd find that it was a good fit sometimes i'd find that well i really can't <laughs> this is really not for me but it, but either way i i try to find just that that in for myself and that's true for for any project too just how do i find a way to sort of fall in love with what i'm doing at the time yeah, absolutely. So do you remember, was there like a, was there like a, an aha moment in your childhood where you're like, oh, this is what I love. This Was there like a movie or a score that did that to you? Or was there something that it's still to this day that you go back and you can just watch and cry or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's funny. The the stuff that gave me goosebumps as a kid still does as an adult, but it's, I know. it's a little harder to find those, those feelings in new stuff as it used to be. I'm sure that's pretty common. That's, I agree. But yeah. Uh, but but yeah, for me it was um, definitely Batman, the Elfman '89 Batman, and then also Horner, James Horner, Star Trek II. Mm. I'd say were the big scores that really um, that I just listened over and over and over again to, and, and and couldn't stop listening to all the all the textures in and picking apart in my head. And then Tchaikovsky Five was the other big sort of symphonic um, 
I guess, connection for me. Yeah. But again, absolutely. this is early stuff. I mean, I, I've, I've, got, I've grown beyond my, my obsession with just the orchestra. <laughs> right. Um, although, although, interestingly, my career sort of ended up putting me back there with, um, with my work at Disney and, um, and, then, and then, you know, Potionomics, which we'll talk a little bit about. Absolutely. So before we get into jumping into kind of your, some of your current project, talk to me about like, because you, I mean, you have kind of worn so many hats in your in your career. I mean, you've worked as an additional composer, you've worked as an orchestrator, you've done sound editing and mixing and all that stuff. And I'm curious in those early those early jobs and those early kind of things, what were the the big lessons that you learned that kind of helped shape, I guess, maybe what your workflow is as a composer today? Yeah, I also spent time as a video editor. I actually quit music for oh, that's right. Was just yeah, wow. editing, which was an interesting. Also taught me a lot, but but yeah, as, as far as sort of the music related jobs, you know, to be totally honest, um, I had a hard time when I first moved out here. I was not, um, I did not really, you know, for one thing, I had a pretty big chip on my shoulder, to be honest. Um, maybe that, that, that's a good quality, I think, in some cases, and we all need a bit of, bit of an ego. But when you're younger, it can kind of get in the way. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I didn't know all the things I didn't know yet, to, to be mm. honest. And, uh, and so... I and then I also had this sort of this just this tremendous lack of patience. Um, I didn't really appreciate the fact that it, like like people would use this phrase constantly that it would take ten years before you find success, right? And yeah. I didn't. I you, I would hear that and be like, ah, oh, whatever, you know. I mean, I'm two or three years and I'll be fine. And because that was really the only the the, the longest period of time I could really conceive of. I mean, you know, you know, if you think about it, we go to high school, we go to college. Everything's in four-year chunks, right? We ha we don't yeah. really know what a ten-year time span feels like, and yet looking back, that's exactly how long it took uh, for me to to really launch any sort of you know like sort of stable career. And I think um, so. A lot of those early jobs, I was not necessarily um, I was I was I was learning a lot, but I wasn't really thinking them uh, long about them long term the way I should. I, I wasn't considering the fact that well, you know, I could be an orchestrator for three years, and that's that's only, you know, 30% of my 10 year horizon, right? I mean, yeah. so I would sort of move from job to job and, and look for the the next thing without maybe necessarily staying too, like staying longer than I, than I maybe, maybe I should have in retrospect. Um, in terms of specific skills, um, well, um, you know, I mean, as an assistant, I would, I would do a lot of additional music and that was all oftentimes aping styles of other composers and so, mm. And, and that's sort of a consistent, like, I, I think, bit of great training, because whether yeah. you're aping the style of a composer you're working for or whether you're following a temp score, um, learning how to to to, um, uh, to 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 do something that's not necessarily your instinct is, is sort of an important skill, I think, for a composer. You want to have your own voice, but you still need to know how to 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 inhabit the shoes of of the director's vision right or the composer's vision in that case so yeah, yeah. absolutely. and then finally just on, on, on the video editing front um i really feel like i would recommend all composers do a little video editing because i think of all the other aspects of filmmaking that is probably the one that's most similar to what we do just because we interact with it so directly as composers i mean we can change the feel of the pacing of a scene just by the tempo that we choose as can the video editor but but we both there's an interplay there right and so yeah. to sort of to be on the on the video editor side of it and to and to um just you know play with tempo from that perspective really taught me a lot on the music side and how to how to play with time absolutely no i mean that, that make 
I mean, you look at John Ottman, who's I think a prime example of that, you know, winning an Oscar for editing, but also being oh, yeah. one of the most premier composers. And I've talked to him at length about, you know, the different hats, it, his brain works and that. But I mean, I think I, I think just in general, I think uh, a lot of composers who maybe just, if you're looking to get in this profession, you need to just jump into storytelling. It's about the screen, you know, the visual storytelling and every aspect of it. And I love how you point out that maybe you, you you yeah you weren't ready to to accept the 10-year challenge because i remember when i first moved out and it yeah I, I was i was about 11 years in la before i'm I'm temporarily outside but i'm coming back to la and it is right that in that 10-year mark where you start feeling your groove and you start feeling like you finally are getting someplace and i always i but i remember i used to hammer myself i'm like listen i know i told myself because you're going to see all your friends jump on other careers be like boom 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 and they start rising up they're buying their houses they're getting their right. cars oh and, you're, and you're just sitting yeah. there going crap i can barely afford groceries still right. <laughs> you know? so i think right. that was a big part of being a young person out there in la just like you know fuck i just want to it is but imagine forward we, it. yeah imagine if though if we really like if we had the ability at that age to really think about that that period of time and and really laid out exactly what we wanted to accomplish from a yeah like what we wanted to learn, like maybe you could be, you could be an assistant for five years and that's fine, right? You could assist, yeah. think yeah. about the composer you want to devote that much time to. Maybe you want to be in a touring rock band for a while and gain some experience doing that. I mean, that, again, spend a couple of years with that. I mean, if you really can put yourself in that position, um, it's just so hard, I think, when you're that age to, to think. About I had it too. Yeah. And, you, and it's also, it's hard to predict what will happen because sure. I, I went to film school and I graduated, moved out there. Oh yeah, I'm gonna work in film, and I'm you know ten years later I'm in animation. I never thought that was gonna happen. So, but it's yeah, like, same here. I didn't expect it to be in animation either. Um, we yeah. should talk more about that sometime, maybe off offline. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about your story, but absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, so, I, I I I did not aim to become an animation composer. That's definitely another life lesson from this whole uh, Hollywood journey. Is that the thing that you're aiming for is not necessarily where you where the opportunities come from. Just yeah. Yeah. So, but let's, let's, I mean, that's a perfect segue. Let's jump into animation. Let's talk about uh, TOTS, which is Tiny One's uh, transport service, uh, which you compose for Disney and uh, Disney Junior. So, I mean, I work at Cartoon Network Studios. This is uh, uh, the preschool market is something that we are actually, we haven't been in, but we are stepping into a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I'm curious, and I'm curious as a, you know, I always grew up, you know, when you grow up and that's such a formative, you know, part of childhood. And I know that we've, worked with you know you look at a child psychologist and you're trying to because you're it, it is about learning and development and stuff so i'm curious as a composer as a storyteller as well talk to me about first of all i guess working on this getting this getting the show what was because you've been wor working on it for some time now so i'm curious from the start how has the show kind of started and how has it evolved and what is your approach to the music of of tots sure um i guess we'll start at the beginning with just how i got the show um yeah that'll sort of play into our early career conversation too. Uh, it was actually the second show that I've worked on with the same team there. Uh, the That's first right, show that you I did. On. Goldie and the Bear was- Right, right. Yeah. Goldie and Bear, which was sort of a fairy tale forest uh, kind, of, kind of thing. And I got introduced to Disney through my friend, Rob Cantor, who uh, I went to school with, didn't know very well then, but got to know better when he moved out here. Uh, and we collaborated on this sort of crazy viral video back in the day called uh, Actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf. I think it's actually called Shia LaBeouf Live. Yes. If you want to look it up. But um, so he, he makes this crazy video and he's like, hey, I need you to help me make it epic with the music. Because, you know, he's a he's a songwriter mostly and I can 
bring the I can bring the I can bring the the full boys choir. I can bring the the string quartet. I can bring the piano and harp parts. So I did that. I brought that to it, and um, and that did so well that he uh, was able to leverage a couple contacts he had at Disney, and eventually got a chance to audition on Goldie and Bear as a songwriter. When that happened, that was an opportunity for me to you know he just he had the opportunity to introduce me to some of the creatives there. So that uh, that's what got that's what opened that door for me. Um, again, you never sort of expect, but working exactly. on a viral video sort of leads you to to working at Disney, right? It's not a direct <laughs> path, right? It's just what comes your way that 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 you succeed at might lead you to something you didn't expect. And uh, and so yeah, so we did Goldie. Uh, we're doing uh, we did Tots. That actually that actually wrapped up. We're on a third show together called Pupstruction, which um, comes out next year. Oh, and wow. uh, you wanted to know a bit more about what? What else did you say? Like just um... well, talk to me about I guess writing music for a, a preschool yep. show, which is also different than regulars. Uh, I guess they always the way they at least we do a demographic like ages six to twelve, and then yeah. before that is like preschool. So I'm curious as a composer. Also, I'll throw in this too because you're you're a new dad as well. I remember we had to we had to push because you're on dad duty. So I'm curious how maybe how has your perspective changed? Uh, Especially with your upcoming project uh, as a as a as a dad now, and you have sure. someone who will be watching this in a few you know a few few months, a few years time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I don't think there are any rules like anything else, but I can sort of speak to the way that our team looks at it. And yeah. I know that um, for us on on Tots and and and, and now Obstruction, uh, the, the main lens that we look through when giving notes on the music is whether the whether the kids will pretty much understand the story. Mm. Right. Uh, it's it's a very different lens than you use writing for adults, because for adults, you're assuming for the most part that the narrative is 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 straightforward, that they that they know what's going on, that they that they don't need the music to really assist anything. And there you want the music to add. You want the music to chiefly add material that isn't there. You want it to bring a fourth dimension to what you're watching. Right. Ideally, at least that's how I look at it yeah, with yeah. with preschool content. Um, you really do need to help kids, I think, sometimes, especially younger ones, uh, understand what, for example, what humor is, what sarcasm is, what, you know, so, so, so I know early on when I was first working on Goldie, a producer on my first pass would look at me and, and say, like, you know, you didn't, you didn't hit any of the jokes in this scene. And I would, I'd be sort of confounded, like, what do you mean by hit the jokes? <laughs> And yeah. they meant literally, like, like my instinct was stay away from the humor, right? Let the jokes kind of play on their own. Don't need to. But, but for, the, for this, again, for this audience, actually having the music literally hit the joke with sort of a goofy clarinet or, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or a xylophone was sort of what they wanted. Just so, again, the characters could, the, the audience could tell the difference between sarcasm, humor, and, and just like plot information, right? And uh, speaking of plot information, that's one of the, the few points where we, don't use music, right? Because we want to make sure that the uh, the narrative is very clear. Yeah. Otherwise, it's almost wall to wall. Um, because again, music is often serving that sort of assistive function um, in, 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 in outlining the narrative. So I guess that's, that's, that's how we look at it. I don't think every kid's show needs to be treated that way. But for this specific kind of storytelling, that works well. I mean, I'm really into um, alternative like ways of, of doing that like there's a show on netflix called city of ghosts that i think is very much um elizabeth ito one of our our past uh she used to work at cartoon network studios oh it's one of your 
Oh, you know, oh she, yeah, she, so yeah. yeah, she used to work here, and that she pitched a show that the network didn't pass, did passed on, and then she went to Netflix to create City of Ghosts, and she just I think won some Emmys. I mean, she's fantastic. Yeah. It's it's a show that's you know it's it's I, th I think it's it, it it can certainly work for younger kids yeah. and it's uh it's scored in a totally different way. Michael Andrews is is doing it. He's treating it um in a very sort of like you know he 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 writes a lot of ambient synth scores and mm -hmm. he's bringing that same sensibility to this. So so I don't want to say that anything I just said is a rule, but that's certainly how we do it on Disney for the kind of sort of crazy zany stories that that we tell there. Absolutely, and for something. Is there, what would you say would be like the biggest challenge for you as a, as a composer working on maybe a preschool show? It's really hard for me to, um, or at least it was really hard for me to, to inhabit that, make that shift. Because everything I'd done till then was was live action for adults. Yeah. So so I really did have to go to school again in a sense and and really take the notes to heart, um, like hitting the jokes, uh, making sure that I that I, that I I score different sections of the of this show that have the right emotional content, such as the moral of the story always needs to be outlined with music that 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 feels more emotive right like the way basically it was it was just a reminder that i cannot hit the audience over the head too hard with almost mm -hmm. anything you know i can be as big as i want i can be as um as 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 what was the word i was using sort of i don't know instructive or, or assistive as i want in terms of outlining yeah. the narrative which again went against a lot of my instincts as a composer for live action material. Um, but once I got used to it, I, I, I feel like I sort of understand where we're going. The hardest thing for me is honestly just um, interfacing with, um, well, Rob, as a songwriter, the songs are absolutely the focus of all of these shows, right? That's what, absolutely. Yeah. That's what the kids remember. That's what, they, that's what, that's what the producers are, are, are sort of giving most of their energy into. And so the score has to interface with the songs from a palette perspective, from a thematic perspective sometimes. Um, trying to figure out when a song theme will work as a score theme and when maybe that song theme is is really not going to work as a score theme because maybe that song is a certain genre that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense as a song but simply from a melodic standpoint doesn't really capture the action and so there's a lot of discussions about that and those are a lot of decisions I have to kind of just make on the fly since um, there isn't really time to always yeah. sort of have long conversations about stuff like that. So when uh, so when do you come into the uh, production process? Are you coming in since music is such an integral part of the structure? I think of each episode. Are you coming in? Are you start working on animatics? Are you wait waiting for a lock picture? And and I guess are the songs part of the the script writing? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob actually um, gets to write the songs during the breaking of the of the screenplay. So he's right there oh, at wow. the beginning, um, and then they animate to the songs. Of course, yeah. Uh, for score, we. You know, as as anybody watching this who's a composer would know that we're 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 generally scoring to picture. Um, one of the amazing things about animation, or uh, is that the um, picture rarely changes, which is very different than live action, where the picture yeah. is almost constantly changing. Uh, it's at least maybe this is different in feature animation, but at least in TV animation, it's so expensive to make any changes to, to make mm -hmm. major changes to the animation that things are pretty much locked to the storyboards. Um, you might have a couple frames here and there, or a scene trimmed there, you know. But you're, you're never going to have a situation in live action where they're they're suddenly like, you know what, we're going to tell the whole episode in reverse or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you know, something that they'll do at the last minute, like we're going to really shuffle things up three right. days before release, and they have to rescore the whole thing. Um, that never happens. So we're, we're we're I could pretty much score to the to the animatics and be like ninety percent there um, if yeah. I had to. But what what usually happens is we get brought on during animatic phase. We score to those for a while, and then animation. Um, uh, gets further along, and then we we sort of get in sync with 
with with the with they call them composites or color passes, then we, we sort mm -hmm. of end up with pre, pretty close to final animation at that point. Excellent. And are, you, are these 11 minutes or 22? Uh, they're, they're two 11 minutes per, two 11 per 22 episode. minute episode. Right. So right, we do every, cool. every two weeks we do a 22. Nice. So, so uh, let's, uh, in a, maybe kind of a similar world, let's jump over to video games because you also have this amazing project, Potionomics, uh, that, that uh, came out, uh, an indie game that has, I mean, if you look at Steam and look at the reviews, I mean, it's just everyone loves it. Everyone is just, I mean, loving this game. So talk to me about this project and uh, I guess how you got involved and I guess what were the initial discussions about music for this game? Yeah, I'm so glad it's doing well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's doing we, really well. We, uh, oh gosh, I got brought on back in like 2016. And so it's yeah, been wow. a long it just shows, slog. Um, yeah, how long it takes to make something yeah. like that. I don't think anybody expected it to take quite this long, but um but, you know, I mean, I'm just glad it got finished and it's doing well because I've been on indie games, a couple of different ones, for example, in the past few years that just kind of fizzle out. They lose funding. And so really yeah, got to give props to the developers for sticking through it. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. What was your other <laughs> so talk, Yeah. So talk to me about get, yeah, working on this game. What were the I guess what were the initial conversations about music? Okay. How was music going to uh, be part of this game? And what did you yeah. uh, eventual approach was, was it? I guess what was your sure. eventual approach? Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, I was brought on really early. Jody, the uh, lead developer, really loves music. He just really values it, and um, which I was really excited to hear. I mean, he from the beginning wanted to be writing themes even before the gameplay loop was was fully conceived. And so we had a main title, we had character themes going um, back when he was still pitching. In fact, we actually uh, recorded these a couple themes for the game with live orchestra because he wanted that as part of his pitch his pitch deck basically to get more money. So he from the beginning he was thinking about music as as an asset. And yeah. that's amazing for me as a composer because um you know, I mean, I, I don't know as you may know, but music can be can be either really a huge part of a project or it can be sometimes considered almost like an afterthought where you sort of cram it in all at the end and um yeah. so being being involved in the beginning was really cool because it got me opportunities to be on a fly in the wall as characters were developed. It's a very character focused game right and so we have a lot of unique character themes and uh the other thing about this particular project is that all these characters um because of the nature of the of the sort of the trope of the game are 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 almost feeling like they're from different genres like they're walking in from from different types of video games and so the music is is jumping around a lot um and what's cool about being there in the development of the character is that you start to get information on their backstory that doesn't necessarily make it into the game, but can still inform the kind of music you're writing. Um, one of the characters in the game, uh, Helene, is she's sort of the antagonist, but she's not really the antagonist. She's sort of just the, um, there's probably a narrative term for this, but she's the reason why you're you're in the, like she's the impetus for, for you playing she's like the, the game. She's like the catalyst of the- Catalyst, the whole, yeah. yeah. And she's also, there's a threat sort of, underneath that catalyst. And the original conception of the character was she was uh, literally going to, she was sort of like a, like a, a devil type figure who would, mm -hmm. who would, who would, you know, you, you basically had sold your soul to, and she would, you know, drag you off to the, to the depths of hell or whatever to serve. But, you know, that got way paired back in terms of darkness. And I, and, but I already had this theme written along those lines. It was very choral. It was, you know, it was in this sort of made up language and, and very slow moving. And so I thought, you know, this isn't going to work anymore. But um, we decided ultimately, like, you know what, let's just keep it because it it brings that level of depth to the character, a level of depth to the character and mystery that even though it's not necessarily in the writing right now, it's still 
add something, you know, yeah. that isn't there. And so that was, I think, true for a lot of the different characters where I was, I was, I was, I was given more material to work with than I necessarily needed. <laughs> you know? And uh, so, how much, how much total music did you write for for the for the game? About two and a half, three hours, I would oh, say. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a long, you know, it's about a twenty-hour experience, I think. And so, you know, like any game, you're thinking a lot about how long is a character going to be in this specific place. Right. Um, you know, how long, like, is this melody going to get annoying if it plays over and over again? It's a very melody driven game. So I was very worried that melody, yeah. strong, these strong melodies would, 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 you know, maybe you like it in the first time, but would you like it the, the 15th time? And so we would, we would do on occasion do things like have the melody, uh, trigger, um, on a probability, you know, like only 50% of the time will the melody come in for this particular track, things like that. But at the end of the day, you are sort of just guessing. Um, yeah, I did, one of the things that was great about working on an indie title is that I, I get to do all my own implementation, which is oh, not wow. the case for most AAA games. Um, yeah, mostly you just they just hand over stems, and it's like the audio director kind of decides right. the placement and implementation, yeah. right? Yeah, I was sort of like a sort of like an audio director in a way, although I wasn't heading up the the sound. But in terms of, I had some I had some input into the sound, but but I was able to yeah totally implement the music myself. It, it's wow. um yeah. It's great. That's awesome. So I mean, that's like, so, so rewarding. It. <laughs> rewarding, and it's instructive. I learned it. Hopefully, so if I do a project on a with a bigger with a bigger team, I will know more um, yeah. about what not to do since I was able to you know be in the in the nitty gritty of it. Was there a favorite uh, section of the game, whether it was a, a an area or a character theme that really kind of spoke to you? That was kind of your personal favorite. I'm not sure everything was yeah. a little baby, but it's one thing that was maybe a little personal or that you really loved to work on. Personal. I don't know if anything's really. Let's say personal. <laughs> well, I guess um, that was a you long know. Term. <laughs> I mean, I mean so, so yeah. yeah there, there are pieces that I would write. Like there's there's a there's a piece called Rata in Moonlight, which is just a very nice, um, almost impressionistic Eric Satie yeah. type of piece that I wrote late at night. Um, you know, my wife was working in the room next to me and she was, you know, really loving to hear it. And I was really loving to, to play it. And it, it came out really quickly. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those pieces where I'm like, you know what, this is, I like this piece too much. It's probably going to get cut, <laughs> is what, <laughs> which is a reaction I often have when I, when I, when I fall in love with a piece of music too much, but yeah. fortunately Jody liked it. We kept it in the game and, <laughs> And then a second one would be this this boss fin track, which is the boss battle track in the game. It's just the most um, it was just the most technically complicated piece I've I've written in, in perhaps ever, and also the biggest oh, wow. because we had a big band and sax section and drum solos and orchestra, and it was the hardest to record. It was really hard to get done. We did it first thing in the morning too, which I would not recommend, except for the <laughs> fact that the jazz the jazz players had to be out had to be out as soon as possible to get to get to their gigs, so we had to had to do it first, but. Um, yeah, it all came together. That's amazing. So uh, let's, I want to, I want to pull back out again and maybe just talk generally about your approach. We talked, you know, we have kind of two of your most recent uh, projects as kind of examples, but, and I know this, this question will differ depending on what, whatever project we're, you're working on, but I'm curious where the first note comes from, from you. Where do you, where do you like to start your process? Do you just like to sit in your room and, you know, you mentioned how you're writing and your wife was next working next to you do you like to be isolated do you like to be with people do you like to uh, tinker on the piano do you like to go for a walk where does kind of the the genesis like the start of your process usually yeah i mean i think if i knew the answer to that definitively i would just do it every time i, I don't think i yeah say um it also depends on the medium right because with video games yeah sure a lot of it is discussion about the narrative and looking at character art and 
and and thinking about again the logistics of location. All right, well, then you, let's well, maybe let's use potionomics as an example. Where was sure. your start? Like, what was your starting point there? Did you look at art first? Did you just have a conversation first? What was the the triggering, I guess, part? Um. So again, all these, all, I, I was so involved in the character discussion that I, again, I, like I said, I had so much material to work with. Sylvia, yeah. the main character, there was initially a discussion that she was an orphan. And so the theme that I wrote for her was very melancholy, very um, sort of, you know, beautiful, but poignant and sad. Um, again, narrative kind of got changed, but we kept it, <laughs> fortunately. Yeah. And it, and it uh, I don't know, I, I, you know, being able to put myself in the shoes of a character's past definitely helps in terms of finding a melody. And a harmony, um, though potionomics was a little bit unique in that way because it it was more thematic and much more harmonic, I would say, than most of the film work that I do. Which usually for me starts at a at a uh, the starting point for most of the film work I do is is palette actually because for me if I don't know you know if I if I think I'm working with orchestra I'm going to write certain kinds of music but if I think I'm using mm -hmm. You know, analog synthesizers, or if I'm doing the whole thing on a solo cello, it's gonna it's gonna very much change the melodies and the timbres that I'm using. So I need to know in advance what that palette is, yeah. and um, and finding that palette is usually the the first bit of exploration that I'm doing. Does it usually take you a while to find that? Is it a long process for you, or is it something that usually kind of just you figure it out pretty quick? It's the hardest part. Um, yeah, the hardest part the, because that is usually what people I would say people will respond to the palette and color first when they hear a mm -hmm. score. That's the first, they don't process melody or harmony or, or recurring themes. The first thing they process is, is, is palette, which is really a sort of another word for genre, um, yeah. you know, anyway. Um, and so even though you can sort of, I, I guess, I guess some projects are, or it's obvious what genre it is. If it's, if it's horror, if it's, if it's animation, like, and if you know, if you know, you're going to be using orchestra, it helps a lot. Um, but if you don't know that, um, or if you can't use orchestra because you don't have the money for it, um, then yeah, you, you're trying to find, I mean, I'm looking at all kinds of things. I'm looking at, if I have it, I'm looking at the color palette of the film, you know, maybe, you know, if, 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 if the color correction is such that they're putting a blue tint over everything, that's actually for me, at least going to change yeah. the color of the instruments that I'm choosing. Uh, maybe I'll use more, um, you know, sine waves and pianos and, and more reverbs on a blue versus a red where I'll be using more distortion or, you know, metal sounds, things like that. Like I, I, I know I'll go different directions based on, based, on, based on elements like that. So I'm just gathering all the material I can, uh, reading the script, looking at dailies, looking at actors' performances, trying to see. Oh, and then, and then one other thing that I, that I like doing is seeing if the environment of the film itself lends itself to any sort of musical mm. concepts. Like I did a short film called Adams few years back where the lead character uh, played by Patton Oswalt is rummaging through his neighbor's basement trying to remove all of the potentially hazardous items from the basement and he's just taking normal things like paint cans and and, and, and saws and hammers and because uh, he's a little paranoid and and I thought you know I have all those items around maybe and they all make sound right so maybe that can be my drum yeah. set right and so that became an in for that project that's like well here's here's this foundation of original interesting sounds that I can build on Absolutely. So you mentioned that yeah. that might be the most challenging or hardest part. I'm curious for you, what is the most rewarding aspect of the whole the whole journey from start to finish of a project? Is there a part of that journey that is like the most creatively rewarding for you? 
Um, honestly, it's the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> what it's you can, so hard. We can sit back and just yeah. look at everything. Yeah. I, I think an author said, I forget who said this, I should, should look it up. Um, somebody said once, I, I hate writing, but love having written. Um, yes. I wouldn't say that I hate writing, but, but, but the feeling of having finished it, mixed it, felt it all finally come together um, is, is the best because honestly, while you're in the midst of it, you don't know if, if what you're writing is going to work. Um, I've, I've tried to get more okay with that level, that kind of insecurity as I've gotten older, especially on post for example, where I had to uh, write a lot of music without picture. It was, it was, mm. it was, um, I hadn't done that a lot, you know, in a while since my college days really. And uh, meaning not having a, a strict sort of frame to work within, I had to create the frame myself. And I would, I would just try to get more comfortable with, writing a lot of material, not knowing where it would fit in, putting it aside, you know, working on another section of the piece and then realizing, oh, you know, this will, this will fit really well right here, you know, and just being okay with that, that working without a net kind of feeling. Um, and that's true, whether you're coming up with different sounds or coming up with your theme, you have to be willing to step away from whatever you're doing in the sense of not be so worried that it's, that it's going to fit. And that's especially true, I think, in film, because since you are constrained so much from the, 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 the picture, you really do need to separate yourself from it. Because, you know, if you want to write a theme that's that's going to uh, that you're going to derive material from, you're not going to have the window to do that within the 30 second scene you may have that needs that theme. Right. So you need to have that theme written in its in its in its full form in a way to know uh, how to, you know, extract from it. Uh, into that particular scene. You can't just start with the scene. So that's something I'm getting, I'm trying to get better at, just writing away from picture. Um, yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, uh, kind of overcoming uh, self-doubt and then kind of becoming more confident. I'm curious uh, when you present, you know, music is such a, I mean, you can look at it as being vulnerable and kind of opening up and, and putting a part of you out there. Do you get nervous when you submit something for like a review or you're presenting it to your director for the first time? Or do you, is, that, is that a nervous thing for you now? Or are you like, are you just ready to be, get the feedback and just keep working? <laughs> you know, um, it's not that nerve wracking. I usually feel pretty good about what I'm sending most of the time. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's more nerve wracking when it's Disney or when it's a new client who I don't know mm. very well or, or, um, uh, but you know, the stakes are, are so different on, on so, so many different projects. If I'm, I, I, a lot of the time that I spend writing, new material is for these pitches for projects that I, my, my manager is putting me up for. And, yeah. and those have a certain anim anonymity to them in the sense that I, I haven't usually met the show creators. Um, I don't really feel much of anything when I send those off. I usually just either feel great that I nailed it or kind of frustrated that I didn't come up with something that I liked in a yeah. small amount of time. And, and honestly, my, my perception of the music tends to have very little uh, to do with the success of it. I, I, I land projects where I'm not necessarily um, thinking I nailed it and, and, and don't hear back on ones where I'm like, this is my best work. So, right. so I don't even know if that feeling is that useful, to be honest. Um, yeah. uh, I, the, best, the best feeling is when you're working with somebody who you've worked with before and who you know isn't going to judge you too harshly on that first pass. Because yeah. honestly, to be honest, I don't think we're really supposed to nail it on the first pass. I think what we're supposed to do is follow our instincts and and do something that is maybe 50 percent there and then that gives us uh, a jumping off point to really get into the conversation because you can only talk about so much you can only talk about music so much before you've written a note uh you really have to write that first note to really get into it i think with somebody and so if you have somebody that's cool with that that's the best 
dynamic. Absolutely. So talk to me about uh, what do you, as a composer, what are the best attributes and I guess characteristic that a, that a director or a producer could have to work with? Like if you could build your own, the best <laughs> filmmaker that you could Double work with. Director. Yeah. Like you're, if you could pick and choose like the, the top, uh, like maybe top three character, like top three uh, characteristic that a director should have that makes your life easier as a composer or not easier, but just more rewarding. And I guess the collaborative experience is more rewarding for both sides and to help the, the story. I'm curious because I'm sure you've dealt with some crazy personalities and some some batshit crazy people in, in your day that that maybe are maybe more toxic or negative. But I'm curious. Yeah, we're yeah, all what, we're all crazy and toxic, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Times. It just depends <laughs> on the context. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I one thing would be just if the film is edited well. I mean, mm. editing again. Maybe it's because I was an editor, but 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 editing that is either too tight, where it's uh, cutting scenes off too too closely for music to sort of have a moment, or or editing that's maybe the opposite, where it's just too too many pregnant pauses. You mm. know, just just a good edit, one that that fits the spirit of the material and is conducive to to scoring is important and that's um that's sort of that's sort of hard i mean i don't know how you sort of yeah get that. that's also a matter of taste too maybe my taste is just different yeah than other directors but but that's a big help secondly um you know that ability to talk about color and and tone and emotion um is is really helpful um i i i, I don't necessarily and a lot of composers say this don't necessarily think it's helpful when directors talk musically mm -hmm. um it doesn't really help all that much it, just because, um, you know, I, I even as a composer working 24 seven, I feel like my musical knowledge is still barely scratching the surface of what's out there. And so <laughs> right. you know, I, I, I don't find it that useful. I feel like the musical exploration happens. I'm doing that. What I want to know is the root of the motivation behind the musical exploration I'm, I'm about to do. So are we you know talking about character motivation, talking about perspective of the music? Um, talking about the way the music's just being used globally are we are we are you a director that wants to um uh like do you want me to hit the emotional beats of the scene or do you want the music to function more like a like a lot or a, or almost like an instagram filter where it's floating above everything and not really tied to the edit and just sort of mm, providing a yeah. vibe um if, if the director knows that and can speak in those terms it'll really help me um sort of hone in on what they're looking for. And a lot of, a lot of times that comes through with just watching examples of, of different projects, to be honest. I've, I've never really met a director that can kind of break it down along those lines. I break it down for me because that helps me ask the kind of questions I need to, to get to know them. So Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know what a perfect director would be. I guess it would be a mirror of myself who I, <laughs> which is, you know, I'm just a, a total egotist, but that's a good question. Well, Kaya. That's a good question. I, I yeah. Have, that more i mean i guess chiquino figured it out because he just started directing himself and now he's composing. oh yeah <laughs> has anything really has he released anything yet or is that still in progress no he did the the new uh the marvel show uh, the the marvel special presentation the werewolf by night he oh directed, okay he he directed and scored that one so that was his oh, first i didn't know that one. okay i'll check that out okay very right. yeah, it's a it's great it's a little one hour kind of throwback to old horror it's not connected to the universe or anything it's on disney plus yeah definitely very worth cool. checking yeah um so to uh i guess uh to kind of wrap things up a bit um the we're going through like the most massive changes that we've seen i guess in the entertainment industry i mean at least in our lifetime i mean we were both yeah. experienced i mean the studios are shifting everything is shifting so i'm curious as a composer 
as maybe a younger composer too, you know, not one of the veterans sitting at the top uh, have already accomplished some, you know, like their big, big careers are all kind of behind them. I'm curious as a composer still really kind of working in the industry. What are the biggest challenges that, that you see for composers facing today that are working kind of in the, in the weeds of everything right now? I feel like our experiences are all very different. Um, mm. Biggest challenges for composers, I guess. I mean, there's always, you know, fees are always going to be a challenge. Um, yeah. With the shift from royalties coming in from, uh, for, for royalties being sort of a, a dependable source of income on broadcast to the streaming platform where basically the pie has gotten so much bigger with the amount of content that's available at one time, yeah. the royalties that we can expect to get are it's just inevitable that they're going to be smaller because the pie is just so much bigger. That's a good and a bad thing, right? Because now more composers are technically getting paid. But if you're a young composer making your way up, you're not going to get paid the same amount in royalties that the, the your senior composers who worked only in broadcast paid, right? And so yeah, yeah. you're at a disadvantage to them. Meanwhile, they are still getting um, royalties from the streaming sites from shows that probably would maybe not have been in syndication. So it's sort of a double-edged sword, I think, um, for younger composers coming up. Um, but, you know, as Richard Kraft or something would say, like fee structure and money has always been a concern. And so no matter what era yeah. you're in, you're still going to be sort of thinking along those lines. Uh, otherwise, I think there's a lot of opportunities now. I, I don't I wouldn't say it's, a, it's I, I think for the most part, it's probably better than it's been for most composers. Mm, yeah. uh, one thing, studios are more incentivized now to look for underrepresented and, and, and just different voices. I mean, I think there was a bit of a period of time where. Uh, a lot of the work was consolidating more and more and more, and you saw uh, individual composers just getting more and more shows and their teams just getting bigger and bigger because if the studios aren't incentivized to take risks, then they'll just stick with what works. Sure. Um, but not, but since they've been incentivized to, to find more diverse talent, they have to look in places where they haven't looked before. And I think that's opened the doors for a lot of people, um, no matter what your background is. Um, yeah, and, uh, and there's just so much more content being made than there ever has been. Uh, yeah. It is it is so possible to uh, it is very possible now to hook up with somebody who can make a, a, a short film or a feature film that stands toe to toe with some of the best stuff being made for Netflix or or even features just because the tools um, to make those projects are so much more readily, readily accessible. Um, they're still not super common, but but you can you can find yourself attached to projects like that. Um, yeah, go on YouTube and find just beautifully animated. Uh, I saw a couple of Star Trek parodies recently that were um, uh, they were they were um, they were drawn in the style of the original series animated show for the oh, next wow. Voyager cruise, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like and they're perfect. I mean, you hook up with a director like that or whatever, you know, and score their next indie short, and it could lead you to a series, right? And that's those, those things are all over the place if you know if you just you know spend a little time looking for them. Absolutely. I think technology has made everything more accessible and it can connect people too. I mean, we can connect with other people who are kind of in the same stage of our careers that we can collaborate and work. And, and that is exciting because I love just working with other people and hearing ideas. And, and it's, it's, it's why we kind of got into this. Yeah. We are more <laughs> isolated than ever though. Um, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I think zoom and the pandemic have, have, have actually uh, have, have, isolated other folks in a way that we're probably pretty used to as composers since we, we do a lot yeah. of work on our own. But I, I don't think that level of isolation at all times is always a good thing. I, I still think, you know, having a musician in the studio, for example, rather than just working remotely with them, can you're going you're gonna to get different results if you can direct them in person. That Absolutely. said, I've rarely had somebody in the studio. I, I almost do everything remotely now. So it's, 
I'm learning how to work under that paradigm and, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Things change. Uh, it's all about adapting and moving forward. So, uh, but moving, moving forward, uh, is there, I mean, you mentioned that you're working on a new, a new show. Is there anything else that you can t uh, mention that you're working that we can look forward to? Um, unfortunately, I probably can't mention anything on, on this platform. There's a, there's a couple development projects that I've just gotten attached to, which may or may not turn into series. I'm sure, really yeah. excited about one of them. Um, I mean, I'm excited about both of them, but one of them in particular is, is really fun. Um, it's sort of an avatar meets, uh, I can say that it's sort of like avatar, the, um, last airbender meets land before time. If I, if I, if oh, I, nice. That's I, one I of my favorite it, animated. Like, I know. Movies. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, and then, um, Pupstruction of course comes next year and then hopefully, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what the next game for Voracious is. Yeah. Uh, Voracious is getting yeah, started. I mean, you know, they yeah. got, they had a nice bright future ahead, I think after the success of Potionomics. So I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. I, we've just released on PC right now. And, 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 uh, if, if it hasn't been announced yet, but if we end up on consoles, I think that'll be, um, that'd be huge. A place yeah. to shine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you so much for for sitting down tonight and 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 taking us into your world and talking about your process. It's uh, such an honor and such uh, so so much fun. So yeah, thank you so much for all for all your insight. Oh, thank you, Kaya. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, especially since um you know I mean you have some pretty big stars on your channel. So so thanks for including me. <laughs>